Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober, right here on Green Earth Radio. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore on Green Earth Radio. In a week, the Weston A. Price Foundation will be having its regional conference in Detroit, Michigan. My guest for today is Kelly the Kitchen Cop, a Michigan native who will be speaking at the conference. Plus, the desserts will tell you how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. But first, let's go to the appetizers and find out what's happening in the world of real food. Vermont could become the first state to require mandatory labeling on GMOs. The Vermont Committee on Agriculture and Forest Products passed H-112, which would require any raw, processed, or packaged foods to be labeled if they're genetically modified. Similar versions of the bill were introduced in 2011 and 2012, but were unable to pass. This time, it looks like the legislators are in more support of it. After the disappointment that was the failure of Prop 37 in California last November, let's hope Vermont can make history and give this oh-so-needed change to our food system. In other GMO news, Whole Foods has announced that they will require GMO labels on all products by 2018. This will make Whole Foods the first national supermarket to mandate that products contain genetically modified ingredients. Although I'm skeptical why this will take five years to happen, it's certainly a great start and will maybe even get other stores to follow suit. Next, Bumblebee Foods has issued a voluntary recall of several of its canned tuna products due to loose seals on the cans. Loose seals can result in product contamination by spoilage organisms and pathogens, which could then cause illness if the food inside is consumed. No illnesses have yet been reported, but this is why I only buy sustainable tuna. Also, a study from the Federal University of Ceará, Brazil, found that organically grown tomatoes accumulate more vitamin C, antioxidant compounds, and sugar than those from farms with conventional growing methods. The researchers also found that conventionally grown tomatoes were 40% smaller than their organic counterparts. For anyone that has doubt why organics are better, here's yet more proof. Next, the USDA is considering a bailout of the sugar industry where the USDA would buy 400,000 tons of sugar in order to limit the supply and boost prices so the sugar producers can pay back government loans. While the companies that produce the sugar would benefit, this would likely result in the candy manufacturers selling their products at higher prices. I'm not sure though if higher priced candy would really stop people from buying all these toxic desserts. Candy would still be rather inexpensive compared to a lot of healthier foods, as sugar is arguably the biggest culprit of Americans being so unhealthy. I ask if it's really a bad thing if we don't bail out the sugar industry and let them fail. And finally, Hot's Kitchen in Hermosa Beach, California continues to serve complimentary foie gras despite PETA claiming to file a lawsuit, PETA sending letters to the owner asking him to stop, and sending video footage of the farm in Quebec where the ducks come from. The videos reveal that foie gras is from a factory farm. This is the problem with the California foie gras ban. It doesn't stop foie gras from being produced. Whereas before there was a California farmer that raised ducks in open spaces, 
Californians now have to get it from farms with the ducks living in cramped conditions. And now for the main course. Next week is the Weston Price's Regional Wise Traditions Conference in Detroit, Michigan. Our guest today is Kelly the Kitchen Cop. Kelly is a Michigan resident. She also leads a Weston Price chapter on the other side of the state in Grand Rapids. Additionally, she has a blog on the Village Green Network. Also, she's going to be speaking at the Wise Traditions Conference on a topic of importance to anyone interested in the Weston A. Price Foundation, which is transitioning from real food, or, sorry, from transitioning to junk food to real food. Today, more people than ever are getting sick, and certainly a big part of that is the toxins we have in our junk food, namely sugars, vegetable oils, and refined flour, as well as non-organic fruits and vegetables, factory farm meat and dairy, and GMOs. None of these foods are traditional foods, and they haven't been found in our food system for that long. Also, all of the junk foods that we love can be made using traditional ingredients. And I know, after having gotten into real food, I find that junk food doesn't taste that great anymore. Here now to explain more about what she means about going from junk food to real food is Kelly the Kitchen Cop herself. Kelly, I'm very glad to have you on. I wanted to do a show as the Wise Traditions Conference is a week away. And I thought, who better than to do it but someone from Michigan as the conference is being held in your home state? Yes, it's very exciting. Thank you for having me. So I imagine that must be exciting, having the conference come to your state and being able to speak at it. It is such a thrill. I couldn't believe it when Sally asked me. They had asked me, you know, a week or two or three weeks prior you know, do you have any ideas of who would be some good speakers? And I threw a whole bunch of really good ideas at them. And then Sally came back and said that she was, you know, asking me if I would do a talk. And I was like, whoa, I didn't think about that, but okay. <laughs> oh, so wow. that's what we're doing. This is a topic that I can talk pretty easily on because I, our family was pretty well into the whole junk food scene for quite a while, unfortunately. <laughs> and I think certainly you deserve to be speaking at the conference because you have one of the most popular blogs, and I believe you also have one of the earliest blogs devoted to the Weston A. Price Foundation and real food. Well, you know, I think so. At the time, it sure seemed like it, because way back when I first found the Weston Price Foundation, really the only website that I could find was westonaprice.org that was saying those things, which was part of the reason that it was kind of hard to wrap my brain around all this in the beginning, because I was like, if all this is true, and it sure seemed like it was because it made common sense to me. But if all of this was true, I couldn't figure out why I could not find this information anywhere else. It drove me crazy because I was the kind of person that wanted my facts validated, you know, that I just have always sort of had that research mentality before the internet. I spent hours at the library researching volumes of all sorts of, you know, periodicals and different things, trying to always get to the bottom of things and find the truth. And so you know, when the internet came on and you can usually find more than one source for things. So that, that was really tough in the beginning. And as time went on, of course, you know, now there's been an explosion and this movement, it's really growing. And um, so when I first had my food conversion, as I call it, it was about 2004. And it wasn't until about three years later that I started my blog. And at the time, I really sort of felt like, there was nobody else out there talking about this stuff. And as soon as you might come across someone who said anything remotely consider, considered, you know, real food, it was so refreshing to finally find somebody else who got it because so few people were talking about this stuff. And one of the very first people who um, we sort of found each other was Anne Marie Michaels. 
from the cheese slave, cheese slave blog. And uh, her and I um, corresponded, became good friends online, and then finally met at the Deidre Curry Festival, which was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, in 2008, I believe. Yeah, it was fall of 2008. And we have been good friends ever since. From that um, Deidre Curry Festival, she got the idea and began what was then called the Real Food Media Blog Network. And I was the very first blogger. And since then, as you know, that network has grown like crazy. They have rebranded recently, and now they're called the Village Green. And they have, I don't know how many blogs now. She's um, got a team out there in L.A. now that has grown the network hugely, and we have over 5 million monthly visits. So I don't remember where I was going with that question. But anyway, that's sort of the beginning of um, – you know, how I sort of started finding more and more people online. And now it's just crazy how much information you can find. People who are coming into the real food scene now don't know how good they have it. They have recipes and information and everything right at, at their fingertips. Whereas, you know, in the beginning, I had to dig long and hard to find some of this stuff. And I had to practice in my own kitchen, you know, more than people these days do because a lot of the bloggers now have it all kind of worked out for them, you know. According to the banner on the site, it says 250 great blogs. Was that certainly a great change from when you joined the blog in, back in 2004? And Anne-Marie was actually a big part of me getting involved with Weston Price, too, because I was familiar with the Cheese Slave blog, and I knew kind of some of the principles of Weston Price, but didn't really know about the foundation. And when I saw Anne-Marie at the booth at the Los Angeles Green Festival about a little over a year ago, that was what got me into it. And of course, as you know now, my blog, The Appropriate Omnivore, is part of the network as well. And it's it's great to be a part of it. What was the reason that you decided to look into learning about real food? Well, um, the way it came about was I, it, it, I in, like I said, in 2004, I got to the point in my life where I was in my, oh, let's see, what would that have been, my mid-30s. And started to put on a few pounds, which I'd never had, you know, any issues with that before. And so I was trying out the South Beach diet, which was, you know, kind of popular at the time, which is sort of, you know, like a low carb kind of thing. And as I was reading the book, I found a whole bunch of discrepancies in it that drove me crazy because in the beginning he would say things like, uh, you know, artificial sugars are bad for you. And then in the back in his recipe section, he'd have recipes that called for artificial sugars. So I didn't, I didn't like how some of that didn't jive. And then a friend of mine, um, her and I were talking one day, and it, it was one of those moments, you know how really big moments in your life you remember exactly where you were standing? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know exactly where I was standing when her and I were talking one day. Her name is Kathy, Kathy and she's a, she actually was one of the founders of our local chapter. And because she's not a crazy wild bulldozer like I am, and I, I was telling her about the South Beach diet, and instead of you know, someone like me who would go, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of junk in that. You don't want to follow that diet. She was just like, oh, okay, well, there's probably some good things in there, but have you ever heard of the Weston Price Foundation? And I said, no. And so she gave me the, the um, you know, the website, and I went on that next morning and spent a few hours, and that is when I had my food conversion. Um, it, it changed everything. It made so much sense to me. At the time, we had um, – our, we have four kids now, but at the time we only had two kids and, um, or I'm sorry, we had three kids, but our, our second to the oldest at that time, he had 
some really bad behavior issues. And it was, it was a long two or three years with him where he would just throw fits that were so bad and going to bed was a nightmare. And, um, of course I never connected any of that to the food I was feeding him. And our oldest never struggled too much, but he, he did have a few struggles in school. And so when I started switching our foods, you know, it took me a while to put this together. I finally looked back and went, oh my gosh, he started to get better right about the time that we started changing what we ate. And so it has made a huge difference in our family. And so of course that helped me want to continue to realize the difference that that really can make in your family, that what you eat really does matter. And it's not just a matter of helping kids with behavior or learning issues. As you probably know too from blogging, we hear from our readers all the time of how real food has healed them of almost everything you can think of. I mean, it's not that it will heal you of everything all the time, but a really huge percentage of the time you can be healed or at least greatly improved of different health issues by watching what you eat and learning to read labels or avoiding food with labels. And it's sometimes it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around in the beginning. It sounds almost a little bit hokey, but the more you research, the more you realize how much junk really is in the food that we're eating. Now let's get into the idea of going from junk food to real food. What is your definition of that specifically? Of junk food versus real food? Yes. Well, junk food, I would say, is anything that you can't pronounce. That's that's covers a lot. Um, junk food is also anything that is super industrialized, something made in a factory or in a laboratory, which a lot of the food we eat now is. I don't think people realize that. Uh, junk food is anything with trans fats, anything with high fructose corn syrup, um, anything from a factory farm. And I don't know. Can you think of some more? Those are the first ones that come off the top of my head. Um, Those are pretty much the ones I think of. And I think of, I mean, there's kind of the, uh, the dirty three, as I call it, of refined white flour, refined sugars, and rancid vegetable oils to me those i think are the biggest contributors to junk food right oh low fat foods that's another big one low fat i would call that a complete junk food um me too and then yeah and then real food i would just say are you know pastured meats you know or wild caught seafood these are real foods um organ meats um pastured dairy Raw dairy, especially as a superfood, um, animal fats and coconut oil and olive oil, these are superfoods, especially, you know, obviously the closest you can get them to their natural state. Um, let's see, cod liver oil, that's a superfood, that's real food. Um, you know, organic produce is a real food. Also, um, what I tell people, some people can't afford to buy all organics. So I'm sure you've heard of this too, Erin, the Dirty Dozen and the Absolutely. Clean 15. So, you know, you can kind of check this out online. Just Google the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15 and you can see which which produce you should definitely buy organic. You know, there's some things that, like we'll go to the local grocery and the kids will be like, can we get some grapes? And I'll say, let's see if they have organic. And if they don't, nope, sorry. Same thing with peaches or berries. Uh, those are all things that I just absolutely will not buy unless they are organic because they are so heavily sprayed. Fermented foods, 
like sauerkraut or sourdough bread. Those are very good for us. And a real food homemade broth. That's also real food. Um, anything that you can read the ingredient, if you can pronounce it, then it's, you know, and you know what it is. And uh, the other thing people say is if you can make it in your own kitchen, it's a real food. So anything that's is least processed as possible, I would say is a real food. I like that you bring up the topic of sourdough bread, because I know that the idea of grains is something that's debated a little bit within our community. Mm -hmm. What is your thought on grains? Obviously, you said sourdough bread, so you see that some grains are healthy. Right. Um, you know, it's funny you say that because just this morning or th this past week, actually, I've been pulling some different things together, trying to figure out what is my take on grains these days, because it has evolved. You know, at one point I was like, you know, we shouldn't eat any, any grains. And then at other times I'm like, you know, properly prepared grains like sourdough or soaked or fermented, they're okay. And, um, and then you hear people like Rami Nagel, who, um, in his cured tooth decay, tooth decay book, where he says that, you know, whole grains are not all that great because they have anti-nutrients that black mineral absor absorption in your body. So it's, it is kind of a confusing subject. Some people, you know, who have, um, severe gluten sensitivities, they can't have grains at all. Um, the, the problem for me with grains, when I have given them up in the past, I do, I do well, I do fine. The problem is I feel great either way. So I don't really have a motivation to give up grains forever. Like some people do. Some people are just plain all sick and they can't eat grains or a lot of carbs in their life. But I am blessed with good health, good gut health and great energy. I feel really good pretty much, you know, as long as I'm eating real food. I mean, back when I was eating junk food, I was sick a lot, but with digestive issues. But now I, and I'm blessed with really good health and, um, so it's not like I have a reason to go off grains forever, except I used to, when I would want to lose maybe five or 10 pounds, I would go off carbs for a while and kind of get back down where I was supposed to be. But what I've noticed as I've got, as I've got a little bit older, and this is what I'm probably going to cover in my post is when I do that, and then I go back to eating normal, it seems like I gain another couple pounds every time. You know what I mean? Like that becomes my new normal. And so that's kind of what I'm struggling with these days personally. Um, so I just kind of try to eat it in moderation. Like we don't, we don't have a ton of grains around here anyway. Um, you know, we have a lot of pastured meats and plenty of healthy fats. That's what's another thing that's great about healthy fats is that they fill you up. Um, so I'm still kind of working through that issue. And I know that a lot of people feel differently. One thing that I am doing a lot more of lately is including alternative grains in our diet. So, um, you know, if I'm making homemade bread or whatever, or whatever, I'll usually use einkorn flour. Um, it's a type of wheat that's not so hybridized. I also will use sprouted spelt quite often. So I really like to switch up my grains. That's one thing I'm sure on is that I want to include more alternative grains in our diet. I'm pretty much in the same situation. I mean, I try to limit it as well. I go by what is pretty much started by Sandrine Love of Nourishing Our Children. She has that reverse food pyramid where you have mm -hmm the healthy meats at the bottom and you have the grains at the top. Yeah. And I also agree with you about these alternative grains, these heirloom grains, because I do think that there may be something to the whole wheat belly discussion of the hybridization of modern wheat. Right. But he says that the 
alternative grains aren't much better, according to him. And that that's where I think I disagree with him. Me too. I think he goes a little too extreme for that, but I do like that he does expose the issue of how hybridized wheat has become. And it's also made me a little more wondering about really about any of these hybridized vegetables. And I try to go more for these heirloom vegetables, such as like potatoes or tomatoes. Mm-hmm. That's true. I hadn't thought about it with other produce, but you're right. They've all probably been hybridized like crazy. So yeah, the, the heirloom veggies are, we have a, um, our local farm market here in Rockford. I'm just North of Grand Rapids in Rockford and our local farm market in the summer has some, um, great vendors and, one couple are friends of mine and I love getting stuff from them because they grow a lot of heirloom stuff and they are very knowledgeable about what makes healthy soil. And as you know, that makes all the difference. I mean, you know, in, in the winter time around Michigan, there's not a lot of choices. So I'll buy the organic stuff at the grocery store or the health food store, but it's coming from far away. And, you know, I don't know the farmer, so I don't know the soil it has grown in, but in the summer, then, you know, it's just, it's just like heaven around here because I go down on Saturday mornings and I know my farmer friends, I know that my food was grown in nutrient dense soil. And I know that I'm getting like, you know, like you were talking about the heirloom varieties and they taste so much better. And, you know, the flavor just explodes in your mouth and it just feels great feeding that stuff to your family as opposed to the stuff all winter that kind of feels, it feels dead. It's just sort of like better than nothing kind of thing. And at least it's not harmful because it's, it's organic, you know, so I know there's not pesticides, but I just, you know, you wonder how much they're really getting as far as nutrients with that, with that kind of produce. I agree also about the heirlooms tasting better because I don't know if like non heirloom varieties of things other than wheat, if they've been hybridized as much, like say the tomatoes or the potatoes, but Mainly, I just find they taste better, so yeah. their taste alone is a reason to buy them over, like, the russet right. potato. Right, and I think the taste sort of is your clue as far as the nutrients, too. You know, if the taste is exploding in your mouth and it's just so awesome, I think that those nutrients, it's obvious that there's more nutrients, too. And that's not the case with a lot of things, obviously, if it's not produce that we're talking about. Sometimes in, um, you know, box foods and stuff, it might have a lot of flavor, but it, a lot of times it's from you know, nasty, toxic MSG and that kind of thing or, or chemicals or things made in a lab. But when you, you know, your produce tastes great, then I think that's a good clue. I think so too. And I know another point of debate in terms of real food, in addition to grains, is also sugars. I mean, obviously, if you're doing real food, you're avoiding high fructose corn syrup and mm-hmm. other things like agave and then an aspartame and probably also not doing too much cane sugar, but what is your thought then on the natural sweeteners of raw honey, maple syrup, coconut sugar, sucanat? Well, we probably have still have too many of those in our lives because as a mom and someone who loves to bake, you know, it's not like we do it all the time, but we, we still make cookies now and then and, you know, things like that. So I will use the all natural sugars in the morning. I'll make the kids smoothies. I call them power smoothies because we have, um, you know, different fruits like bananas and berries and raw egg yolks from pastured chickens. And we have um, some yogurt for some probiotics. We have raw milk. We have, um, and then, you know, like a little bit of real maple syrup we'll put in there. So we do use those natural sweeteners. To avoid the high fructose corn syrup these days is not even difficult anymore. You know, that used to be first began this movement, avoiding high fructose corn syrup and trans fats was a challenge. I mean, you had to really 
really watch what you were getting at the store. And, you know, that was back before I, I switched over and bought less and less with a label anyway. Um, but these days it's not even hard to avoid it. If you're not a, a pop drinker, it's really, you know, pretty easy to avoid that because you can make, you can make almost any, any of your favorite junk foods, you can make them at home. And like you said, at the start of the show, they taste so much better anyway, and they just don't have all that junk in there. They do. And oh, I love that you said pop because I'm from Ohio. I've, you know, lived there uh, all my childhood and in California now I hear everyone say soda. So oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's always right. refreshing to hear pop. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. That's what a lot of people call it is just soda. Right. Well, we make our own kefir soda now. So um, I call it, we call it kefir soda pop and the kids and I love it. And it's, you know, even that we don't have it all the time, but like if we're having, you know, pizza night or whatever, then we crack out the kefir sodas. And um, I just think they taste awesome. And we haven't drank pop around here in years and years. You know, we used to, when we go out to eat or whatever, but now the kids know better. They don't, they don't once in a great while, they'll ask if they can get a root beer and, because I don't want to be a Nazi mom, I will let them because it's so, so rare, but I hate it, you know? (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think there's something to be said for not being so much of a Nazi about it that your kids then when they move out are going to want to go crazy and rebel. And, you know, I'm trying just to keep it. And I, I try to teach them why we're avoiding things. So, you know, my kids now, my younger kids anyway, are pretty good label readers themselves. And they can see right through where there's junk on in food. You know, um, my oldest son, I'm not sure where he's going to end up. (laughs) He's a really good kid and he doesn't eat junk food. Believe it or not, he's in college and he doesn't, I shouldn't, I I shouldn't say never, but he doesn't eat it hardly at all. Um, mostly because he's cheap and doesn't want to pay for it. And he knows darn well, we're not going to buy him any. So, um, but you know, when he's out on his own someday, I'm not sure he, he jokes around about wishing he could eat more junk food, but I, I really think that a lot of that's just talk. And I think that he knows that that's not smart. So I'll be really curious to see where he ends up someday. (laughs) And you've actually written an article about the best from worst choices of sugars. And I think really your article is probably something that everyone should see because I know that you say as the first thing is the best thing is no refined sugar and you say the worst are high fructose corn syrup agave nectar xylitol erythritol and artificial sugars right although agave nectar is sort of one that is still being debated when I first heard about it you know I thought oh wow it's supposed to be you know one of the natural sugars and and then the more I read about it that it's a super highly refined sugar. I then I avoid it. And, you know, it's still not something that we ever use just because I don't, I'm not in the habit of it. And it's not um, something that I even feel I need to worry about because I have enough other options. But there are some say that there are sources of sources of more natural agave that are not bad. So I have not researched that though. So I don't know for sure. The one thing I get asked from people about agave is, does that apply to, to tequilas, which uses agave? Is that the same thing as an agave nectar, what they use in it? I have no idea. The no tequila is made from agave, but I'm not sure if it's the same thing as the nectar. I'm not a big tequila drinker, so I'm not I'm sure. I'm not either. I, I don't really <laughs> like the taste of it. So, <laughs> But I do like my wine too much that has oh, yeah. a lot of natural sugar in it. <laughs> right. But it's it's fermented, so... Right. Should, See, should, there you go. Yeah, as long as you don't go for the pasteurized wine. 
<laughs> that's what I need to look into. You know what? I, I don't even know to tell you the truth. You know, I don't, it's something that's something I haven't really researched either. I have my favorites, but that's a good point. I'm going to look into that after we, after we're done today. I should research that more too, because I looked into it a little and what I found that the ones that are most often pasteurized are the kosher wines. Hmm. So mine probably isn't if it's just a regular wine I get at the store. That's what I've heard, but I don't quote me on that. I need to research that more too. The, the thing I've actually done more of the researching is the beers, which ones are pasteurized yeah, see, and which I ones should, are not. I should too. My husband loves beer. I don't like beer, but my husband's a huge beer fan. <laughs> right. Well, um, what I found, because I've found a lot about this, the ones basically to avoid that pretty much are going to always be pasteurized, any of those major American beers, Bud, Miller, Coors, those are all pasteurized. And then the other thing is, kind of oh, I can't either. Yeah. And then the other thing is um, any foreign beer, when it's imported into here, it has to be pasteurized. So like if you have a Guinness in Ireland, it's not going to be pasteurized. But a Guinness, a Stella, Newcastle, Heineken, they're all pasteurized when they come in here. And for me, it's just become, become a thing of um, I realized maybe that's the reason I don't like any of those beers. And I've heard that they taste different in Europe, but most uh, microbreweries are going to be unpasteurized. That's what I was uh, wondering, because last night we went and checked out, well, my husband's been there a few times, but they finally, our brewery right downtown Rockford in our little small town, they um, they opened you know, a few months ago, and my husband really loves their beer, and they finally added a hard cider, which, you know, as you know, tastes a little bit like wine. So I went with them last night to check that out, and I, so you, you're saying that microbreweries like that probably are not pasteurized. Right. When a hard cider is good because it's also gluten-free. So Right. It tasted time. good. <laughs> and where you are, can you get Great Lakes beer? I don't know. My husband could tell you that, but I Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, yeah, because that, that's, <laughs> that's a brewery in Cleveland where I'm from. And um, I mean, it's I love them for so many reasons because one, I mean, it's it's my hometown, but a lot of the beer critics have called them one of the best breweries and their practices are very sustainable and they are even listed as part of the beverages in the good section of the Wise Tradition Shopping Guide because they don't recommend really? consuming a lot of beer, so it's not an excellent, but they yeah. list Great Lakes Brewery and Good, which, hey, yeah. you know, to have my hometown represented in there. That um, is kind of cool, isn't it? I'm going to write that down to ask him after we yeah. hang up. Yeah, because I know, like, I can't get it in California, but from my understanding, I think you can get it in a lot of areas around Ohio. I think, like, in Illinois, they have it. And if, yeah, if your be... husband hasn't tried it, he should oh, yeah. start trying it soon. He's always game to try a new beer, <laughs> especially if it's dark. Is it a dark beer? It is. Well, they have a number of types. Actually, that's my favorite. And a lot of people have said that their best beer is the Edmund Fitzgerald. It's a porter. And You know what? I think he has had that because it sounds really familiar. I think he's mentioned that recently. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I think best porter out there. And uh, it's, oh, I have to, it's unpasteurized. I have to Awesome. All right. Well, we'll talk more about transitioning from junk food to real food, as well as Kelly's involvement with the Weston A. Price Foundation. But first, a word from our sponsors. To Your Health Sprouted Flour Company offers organic sprouted grains and flours for all your baking needs. We have more than 34 sprouted products, hundreds of recipes, and are always available to answer your flour and baking questions. Whether you're making sourdough breads, French baguettes, birthday cakes, granola, or pancakes, let us be your sprouted grain and flour source. Certified organic and kosher, featuring 20 
gluten-free sprouted products. Visit our website at organicsproutedflour.net or call toll-free 877-401-6837. What is a healthy diet? Conflicting information is thrown at us daily. Help chart your course to wellness with a steady guide, the Weston A. Price Foundation. Our nutrition and health information is helping many families recover from degenerative disease and nutrient deficiencies. Join for only $40 a year and receive our quarterly journal. Visit our website, westonaprice.org, for more details. And we're back. I'm talking to Kelly, the kitchen cop. We've been talking about transitioning from junk food to real food. This is something that Kelly is going to be speaking about at the Wise Traditions Conference next week. And Kelly is someone who's very involved with Weston Price from the Village Green Network, the largest network of Weston Price bloggers. And Kelly is also the leader of a chapter that she has in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Now, Kelly, how long has your chapter been active? Good question. I'm thinking it was early 90s, and it was started by some really dynamic, awesome women who I uh, have become friends with. And, you know, through the years, they have sort of passed the baton on to others. I am actually a co-chapter leader with my friend Janice. And then we have a board of um, about seven or eight people who work with us because, it, you know, depending on how active your your chapter is, it can get, you know, pretty busy and overwhelming. So oh, yeah. there's quite a few of us that um, work together. And, um, this is probably, we meet on the third Tuesday of every month and they can go to our website. Anyone who's listening, who's local to the West Michigan area, they can go to nourishingways.org and they can find out, they can sign up for our meetup and find out when our meetings are. So then this is one of the original Western Price chapters. You know, I don't know how close it was to the, um, to being the, one of the originals. I'm not sure about that. That's a good question. How long have you been leader for it or co-leader? Um, yeah, a couple years. Cause I, you know, I helped out a little bit before that I, I was on the board and, um, then became co-chapter leader about one, you know, one and a half, two years ago, something like that. We've had to cancel recently because of the Michigan weather. We've had two cancellations because of snow. <laughs> <laughs> So we're trying again, and we're talking about the GAPS diet next time. Now about how many members is your chapter? Well, our meetup group has almost 500 people in it right now. Um, but at each meeting, we have anywhere between 50 and 100 people. So, you know, that kind of varies depending on, you know, the Michigan weather and the, our topic. And, you know, our first meeting of every year is in January, and that's always, you know, pretty busy and um so, you know, it depends on different things, but it's really growing as, you know, if you look at our meetup numbers, we're getting new people all the time, which is really awesome. We love getting the word out more. That sounds pretty big. It's a 50 to a hundred to a meeting. Cause I mean, I think my chat from Pasadena, I mean, I consider this pretty large, but I think typically we have more about like maybe like 30 to 50 people at a meeting. And it's the same thing of, we find that it depends on the topic. And I think also the time of the year depends, certainly the summer ones, even in California. Yeah, that kind of surprises me out in California that it's not more. Um, oh, and I told you wrong. It was the late 90s, not the early 90s. Okay, yeah. yeah. I figured probably because I thought unless, uh, unless it was with the uh, the Price Pottinger Nutrition Foundation oh, before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would have thought that in California you'd have a bigger turnout. of. Although a lot of the people out there 
you know, some of them have been living the more natural lifestyle probably longer than people here in the Midwest, I'm guessing, you know. Right. But usually we have a big turnout. I mean, about 30 to 50, but it's kind of a thing of even in, it's, we're finding even in the winter, I mean, it's not like it's that cold, but for some reason, maybe <laughs> it's just, maybe it's other reasons, maybe it's not weather, maybe just people have other things going on at the beginning of the year that we're finding not as many, but I mean, yeah. certainly, like in the summer, we have big turnouts, and I mean, toward the end of the year, because we always do the Western Price Recap, we have a meeting right after the conference, and that usually gets some good members, and I mean, yeah. another thing is, I think, um, I don't know about the members in your chapter, but I mean, a lot of us, we have things related with real food outside of the chapter, so sometimes we can get busy with doing some of those. I mean, two of our members right. have buying clubs, and sometimes they have to be working on their business when we have chapter meetings. Right, and we have on. a lot of farmers, too. So, you know, farmers can't always show up, but they're, they're kind of busy growing our food for us, you know? <laughs> right, yeah, because we have some farmers that show up, although most of them aren't quite in the area. They're more up in, like, Santa Barbara, but certainly we've had a lot of farmers sometimes come to visit to check out our chapter because all these farmers come down at the weekends for the farmer's market, so they like to meet the people that are buying them and get involved with what we do. Right. We're a perfect but, fit for farmers. So hopefully more will join, you know? Oh, absolutely. We love our farmers. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's interesting. So Grand Rapids, I guess, is, is there is a decent community then for real food. Right. Yeah. It's a great community. It's growing so much because, you know, as I said, when I, it, when I first started down this journey, it wasn't just the internet where I couldn't find anybody talking about this. It was also, um, you know, all around me. And not to say that I, I mean, I had a lot of friends who had been trying to get through to me on things, you know, for the past few years. And I just thought they were crazy. Like I remember having a chat with a friend about peanut butter or something like a year or two prior to my food conversion. And, and I just thought, yeah, she's nuts. I'm not going to buy organic peanut butter. That's so expensive. Are you kidding me? And, um, <laughs> so I remember, you know, it's not like I was the first of my friends who started to get on the real food bandwagon, but um, I was, you know, in the earlier group and there were still not that many people talking about all this. But now because it's exploding so much, what I tell people is it's funny that I'm becoming less and less of a freak, you know, because in the beginning I was saying things that nobody was hearing, like, you know, eat more butter and eat more eggs and make sure they're from pastured animals and, you know, all these things that people weren't hearing because eggs and butter were, you know, evil, according to what everyone in the mainstream was saying. So in the beginning, I wasn't finding a lot of people who got it. And I mean, they were out there, but, you know, you didn't hear about them so much. There's a lot of people that were always raising their own chickens and that kind of thing. Um, but as time went on, you could connect to these people more. And the more I talked to my own friends, they started coming around and, um, you know, all of us kind of started growing together and bringing each other further in the journey. One friend would research one thing, one friend would research another and sort of my circle kind of grew and then you meet more people and it, it just keeps kind of exploding. And, um, so that's, it's just, I think really grown in our own area, the same as it's kind of growing and exploding all over the country. Right. And so how is Grand Rapids when it comes to things such as like farmers markets, natural food stores? We are really lucky. We have a lot of good options here. And, you know, the only complaint I would have would be just, you know, in the winter, it gets tricky to find, you know, a lot of good produce and that kind of thing. But one of our health food stores um, in downtown Grand Rapids, you know, even she will try to source some 
better quality winter veggies for us. So there's, there's a lot of good options all year round. The other thing that's really getting great around Grand Rapids is that we are getting more and more restaurants who are providing local seasonal ingredients without the junk. And that's just so exciting to Kent and I, especially because that's, you know, we don't have a lot of hobbies, but one thing we love to do is go out to eat to nice places who get it. Like we don't go to the chain restaurants who just kick out whatever, you know, we want to go someplace with a chef who cares and who wants to source his ingredients well and um, who has relationships with local farmers who I also have relationships with. So there's something just really cool about going to a restaurant like that. So, so that's really growing in this area too. So it's exciting. I also like to go out to eat. I've always loved to go out to eat, but it is a problem that some of these restaurants that they have, even some of the nice ones, how they can be unsustainable and they can uh -huh. use things such as canola oil, some of even oh, the top yeah. chefs. So when you go out to eat at a restaurant, do you bend some rules or are you very strict as far as what the restaurants serve of what you order? No, you know, like I said before, we're, we're really healthy. So, you know, we pretty much, I used to say the 80, 20 rule, but that varies. Sometimes it's 90, 10, you know, we don't bend very much. And other times, you know, we might go out, it might be more like 70, 30, whatever. But for the most part, you know, we kind of chill out a little bit when we go to restaurants, but but we, where we chill out is more in, you know, once we get there, if, you know, one little thing isn't just great, but, but we we're careful about where we go in the first place. So we don't really bend so much when we're choosing the place, um, unless we're forced to, as a matter of fact, tonight, um, we have to go out to eat because it's a family thing and, you know, it's anyway, long story. So that's not going to be a very sparkly place where we're going tonight. But, um, for the most part, when Kent and I are choosing where we're going to eat out, we, you know, we're real choosy about that. We don't eat out very much because the places we want to go are more expensive, you know, like we don't take the kids out to eat because we couldn't afford to pay for six people to have a nice dinner. You know, it's just, it's just something we can't, I do for date night pretty rarely. Um, so, you know, we, we ban the rules a little bit, um, because we don't have major health issues. There's a lot of people that just can't, you know, like if they have health issues and they're trying to heal, then they have to be you know, really, really careful. And thankfully, a lot of restaurants are accommodating that kind of thing these days, too. So that's nice. That is nice. I mean, I'd still like to see one day when we see on a restaurant where it says on a menu item like gaps friendly, that would be great. to. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't it be? <laughs> That'd be awesome. And I imagine also since you don't eat out as much, you've probably become great cook or had, had some, had cooking always been something that you were good at. No, I, I mean, I still, I don't know if I'd say I'm a great cook. Like I have some recipes I can cook well, but overall I'm, I'm always too like in a hurry or I'm, you know, impatient and, you know, I'll burn things. And <laughs> so I don't know if I'd say I'm that great of a cook, but I have gotten a lot better. That's for sure. And it's become a lot easier to cook with real food as time went on, you know, cause it takes some practice at first to switch away from all the boxed hamburger helper junk to the real stuff. And like you said, and we talked about before, what a difference in flavor now. Like the other stuff doesn't even taste good to me anymore. I mean, it's just, you can almost taste the chemicals in there now. I think your palate just gets, you know, so used to the real food that you don't, you just don't even crave that junk anymore, which surprises me to even say that because I used to love my junk food. I mean, I was a Taco Bell freak. I had my very favorite 
item on the menu, which was a burrito supreme, no beans, cheese, onions, or olives. And I still remember it. I'm a little picky, as you can tell, or I used to be. I'm not so much anymore. Oh, but... I used to be very picky, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I had my, my item that I would order every time. And um, now when I want to eat out for a good burrito, we go to Chipotle. Thank God we have a Chipotle here in town. Only one. It's on the other side of town. But when we're over there, we'll stop and have some... You know, they have grass-fed meats and pastured sour cream and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I was a junk food freak. And it's, I mean, I used to love Reese's peanut butter cups. And I had one bite of one of those like two Hall- two or three Halloweens ago. And I was thinking, wow, this doesn't even taste good. I was just in shock. And the weird, really weird thing that I didn't even realize in this past Halloween until like two days later, it hit me. I never even had one piece of candy on Halloween. I couldn't even believe it. I mean, I used to sit and pick out. I remember one Halloween, I ate a whole bag of milk duds. <laughs> and this time, I not only didn't have any, I didn't even notice I didn't have any until a couple. Nothing tempted me at all. And and that didn't happen right away. You know, like I said, my food conversion was in 2004. And, you know, I, I would just say in the past two or three years that the cravings for the junk completely went away. You know, sometimes I think, oh, it does kind of sound good, but I just wouldn't eat it because I knew it had junk in there. I'd just kind of make my own version at home. Um, but now I just don't even, I don't know. Is that, did that happen with you? It is. And I mean, it's, it's been a little newer for me, so it's still happening. But actually, I did have a thing actually just yesterday, not with as much of a big of a junk food, but I mean, I guess you'd kind of call it that. I mean, a recent thing I had discovered about um, not buying olives in the store because of the lie that they add to them. So. Mm. It's a thing of I will only buy them at the farmer's market now. Yeah. But it happened that yesterday it was like there's a salad I really want to make. And I'm like, well, the farmer's market isn't till Sunday. Let me just get a few olives for the salad. And I did it. And I'm like, wow, because I, 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 I've always loved olives, you know, even when I bought them in the store. And I had them like, wow, these taste terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of, it's an amazing feeling really realizing how. It is. Your taste change and yeah, and how far you don't come. want to go back. Yeah, and it's happened too with like with some of those fast food ones that I've eaten. Like my favorite was Fat Burger, and I've had that. You know, is that a sto- is that like year. a is that a chain? I, I don't it know is. Yeah, it was. It's chain oh, mostly still in Southwest. I think maybe maybe we do have one. That was just never one that we went to because I don't think they had them where I was growing up. But there may be a couple right. around. Oh here. yeah, they started expanding it recently oh. all over the U.S. But I I've heard that the um, the expansion of it hasn't gone very smooth. And oh. I had it sometime within the last year, and I was thinking, wow, I, I used, this is like the burger I used to really like because <laughs> didn't taste that special. So I've yeah. had that too. So I don't do a lot of fast food, but like you, actually, Chipotle is the one that I'll do. Although where I am, not all of their meats are perfect because I know where I am, the uh, the beef, it's from Nyman Ranch, so it's grain finished. Mm. Um, yeah. But I mean, the uh, the chicken and the pork there are more sustainable where I am. Yeah. I know in some they have full grass-fed meat. Yeah, and... it's different everywhere. It just depends on, I think, yeah. if they can get a source that can provide them with enough or whatever. Oh, yeah. But and they're the constantly that... improving. Yeah, and I love supporting someplace like that that even has that in their vocabulary. I mean, how cool is that that they're trying to get more and more, even if they're not there and completely perfect yet? I love that they are speaking our language, you know? Me too. I mean, they step it up like every year because, I mean, it's just been more recently that they've gone for getting more local produce and 
It's also been not that long ago that in the Virginia area, Joel Salatin has been providing some meat from his farm there. And they talk about that in depth in the movie American Meat, which I think every listener, if you haven't seen already, you should yeah. see that and you'll learn about Chipotle's commitment. Yeah, that was a good one. That. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time I went in there and saw the little, they had a little card by the register that said um, sour cream from pastured cows. And I just about fell over. I was just so excited. I was with a bunch of friends who didn't really get it, you know, and they thought I was kind of a freak again, you know, but like, look at this. And I'm taking a picture of it and tweeting it. And, you know, <laughs> it was just so exciting to me. An interesting thing for me, because it's been, for me, getting into real food has been a more recent thing. It was, got into it a little bit in 2008 after reading Omnivore's Dilemma, and then Western Press was just a little over a year ago. So for wow, me, you're, when, kind of a, you're kind of fresh into this. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So for me, I had discovered actually Chipotle before getting into any of this. I had just heard that this is this great new Mexican chain that's popping up, and yeah. I had it and I thought, wow, this tastes better than any of other yeah. Mexican fast food that I taste from the Taco Bell to the even like, you know, the Baja Fresh. Oh, yeah. And it, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me then because I didn't really know much about their practices that it was because it was more real food. Right. It just tastes better. It, you know, our... it really does. But, it, but I have to stress again that it may not. For everybody, it may not taste better at first because sometimes our taste buds are so screwed up that they're almost trained to like some of the junk in those fake chemicals. And MSG is a flavor enhancer. So, you know, it's specifically formulated to make you crave more of the junk, you know. Um, so sometimes it takes a little bit of time. So that's why I really think that, and that's one thing I'm going to talk about in my talk at the conference is... Um, you know, it starts really with knowledge. You know, you have to have the knowledge first that kind of scares you enough to want to avoid some of the junk. And then I think your palate follows. Now, for me, one of the things I do at restaurants, um, unfortunately, Chipotle, you don't have to do this as much because they list what they're serving on their menu board. But for me, sometimes at restaurants, I will actually ask uh like what certain things are cooked in. And I'll ask a number of questions. Yeah. Do you do that when you're at restaurants? Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I do it so much that my family doesn't even bat an eye anymore. You know, at first they'd be like, cause I, you know, it's funny cause a lot, my husband, he's shy in some ways. I mean, he's, he's really not in most ways, but when it comes to like making a scene or drawing attention to yourself that he's never like that, it drives him crazy. And I'm not one that goes around wanting to draw attention to myself, but if I want to know how my food is cooked, I'm going to ask him, you know? And so he and my kids used to be like, Oh mom, come on. You know, like they couldn't believe us because I, a lot of times I wouldn't let it go. It's not like I would ask a question and they'd answer me and it was over. I would have to ha ask follow-up questions, you know? So, um, so yeah. Who could say that I do that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, how was it at first for your husband and for kids when you're doing this transition? Were they very on board with it or did they have some skepticism? Well, let's see. So like I said, we have four kids and at the time when I first made the transition, we only had three. Our youngest was, um, our two youngest really weren't old enough to have much of a, you know, say about anything or care that much. But our oldest at the time was, let's see, he was not even 10 yet, um, maybe even eight or nine. I can't remember for sure, and I don't want to figure it out. But he has been 
a struggle. He's a lot better now, but he's still like, even last night he got home from work and he's like, there's nothing to eat here. Cause for him, nothing to eat means there's no box convenience foods. He's still not really over that, you know? And I'm like, Cal, none of us are hungry. You know, when we're hungry, you know, and I, there's, I had just made popcorn that night, last night and, you know, coconut oil and lots of butter and Parmesan cheese on top. And, um, you know, we had leftovers from dinner, which was everyone else loved. I mean, he, he likes my dinners usually. It's just he complains that I don't have snacks around for him, easy snacks for him to grab. And, you know, I'll have meat sticks from the farm or hard-boiled eggs or, um, you know, other snacks that I'll make. And, you know, he doesn't want those. He wants something else, you know. So he still will complain sometimes. Um, but... Think, I'm just thankful that he's not one of those kids that'll just say, screw it and go out and buy some junk. He just is like, you know, like I said, he's too cheap. So he'll just be like, whatever. And he'll end up grabbing something. So then he'll make himself an egg. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, see, that was really rough, wasn't it, to make an egg, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it it was tricky, basically just with our oldest. And, you know, think about it. That kid had, he had junk at his disposal. I mean, box cereals every morning for breakfast fast food three or four times a week. So it's no wonder that it was a hard transition for him. Um, you know, it was, it was a big change for him. And, you know, we don't have obviously any back cereals anymore, any fast food anymore, except for like such Chipotle or Panera once in a while, if it's depending on what it is. So, um, so that was the only one of our kids that was kind of a struggle. My husband, on the other hand, was an absolute breeze. When we made this change, he is, awesome. He supports everything I do, whether it's about, you know, my food or the blog or whatever it is. He is out. He's always been hundred percent on board. And when the kids complain, he doesn't put up with it. He's like, eat it or be hungry, you know? And, you know, he's our, he's our biggest raw milk drinker. He grew up drinking raw milk on the farm and it was never a big deal for him. And he, he's a smart guy. He knows that, He sees the same thing the rest of us see. You know, you look around and people are, you know, getting more and more obese. They're getting more sick. You know, they they can't get out of a chair, you know, because their joints are so bad. I mean, you know, he sees that and he doesn't want to be like that. And he's, you know, he's thankful for how I feed the family. He he likes it. So I'm very, very happy that he's been such a great support. I'm sure that his having grown up on a farm was helping in him understanding all the transition to real food right. because he knows what real food looks like. Right. Yep. And what it tastes like. And yeah, he's, he's a great guy. <laughs> so your kids, I mean, they pretty much are, avoid like all fast food except for Chipotle and Panera. Yeah. Once in a while I'll do Panera. <clears throat> um, I know my oldest, he goes to college. Um, he drives about a half hour to college every day and I know once in a while he'll go with his friends and because the younger kids will go, mom, there's Burger King in the trash. And like, <laughs> you know, like this is huge crime. And it's just, you know, kind of funny looking back because I think about how much we used to eat that stuff. It was so not a big deal for that to be in our trash back then, you know, and now the kids just can't even believe they're seeing it there. And, um, we were yesterday, um, we were out and about and a guy in the car next to us, next to us was eating, um, some sort of fast food and, and my youngest said, oh, it's Wendy's. He called it like W-I-N-D-Y. And I go, oh, I just love it that you don't even, that he doesn't even know like that word enough to say it right. You know, he's seven and he's never been to Wendy's. So he calls he called it Wendy's, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's funny. 
Panera is an interesting one because I, I like that one. Not quite as much as Chipotle, but no, I don't like good as much you can as Chipotle. Get a, you can get a lot of the bowls. I was wondering about the bread at Panera because they do use some type of sourdough. And I've tried to research from their website if it is real sourdough or not. I thought a possibility was it might because they were saying they use like cultures that have been around for a while. Yeah, you know, when I've looked on their website, it's, their ingredients are not super sparkly, but they're not as terrible as some. So they're just sort of like a once in a while kind of 80-20 thing. Like there's no way I would ever do a once. Personally, I mean, maybe some people still do this, but like McDonald's to me is like in Burger King and Wendy's and all those. They're just like so bad. I would not go anywhere near it. But oh, there are just some things. Yeah, no, there's just some things at Panera that I don't feel so bad about. They're, and they're like I said, they're not, it's not like they're health food or they're anywhere near as good as Chipotle, but they're not quite as bad as some. I would agree with that too. Well, we have to go to our desserts in a second, but before we go, let the listeners know where they can find the website for your blog and also let them know where they can find the page for your Western Price chapter. Okay, my blog is kellythekitchencop.com and that's cop with a K. And our local chapter can be found at www.nourishingways.org, O-R-G. And that actually, that page actually will redirect to a page that the Weston Price Foundation helps us build. We actually had the first local chapter that sit, sits on the Weston Price site. Um, so we, we just have our, our link is easier to say to people, and it just forwards to our new website that sits on the Weston Price site. Well, Kelly, I appreciate you coming on the show, and I look forward to seeing your presentation in a week at the conference in Detroit. Great. I look forward to seeing you too. Thanks, Aaron. And now for the desserts, how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. You just heard Kelly the Kitchen Cop, who will be speaking at the Weston A. Price Foundation's Wise Traditions Conference next week. If you haven't registered yet, tickets are still available. There will be many other presentations on real food, as well as exhibitors that all follow the Weston A. Price guidelines and excellent meals. In addition, you have the chance to see me in person. For more information on how to attend, visit the website at westonaprice.org. Next, the excellent grass-fed beef restaurant Burger Lounge has another location in Los Angeles, this time in Santa Monica at 213 Arizona Avenue. To see more of the menu and all the sustainable food that they serve, check out their page at burgerlounge.com. Also, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. You can get some excellent and real corned beef at Lindy and Grundy's in West Hollywood. The corned beef is already cooked for you, and they're also offering mashed potatoes and braised cabbage. And finally, you can now pre-order the interviews and slideshows from the upcoming Village Green Network's Healthy Life Summit. The summit will feature 35 people speaking about real food and natural living. Up through March 23rd, you can get a 75% discount when you order. To order, go to villagegreennetwork.com. That's all for this week of The Appropriate Omnivore. For those of you attending the Wise Traditions Regional Conference in Detroit, I'll see you there. My guest next week is Lisa Rhodes of Real Food Kosher as we get into cooking for Passover. For more information on my guest, my news stories, and my picks, visit my blog at appropriateomnivore.com. Thank you. Thank you.